Welcome everyone to Be Better Betters. I'm the host, Spanky. Thanks for listening. My guest this week is a legend in the business. He's been in the business close to 40 years. He's worked at Las Vegas Sports Consultants. He worked at Bowman's. He worked at Bet365. He worked at Olympic Sports. He's been all over the place. And when it comes to bookmaking and odds making, there's not too many people that know more than this guy. Please welcome my friend, Scott Kaminsky. Scott, thanks for coming on. It's a pleasure. After that introduction, it made me really tired listening to all those places <laughs> and years. Uh, I want to take a nap. Uh, legend, I am not. Yes, you are, brother. I just did what I had to do. Well, listen, let's start from the beginning. How was life growing up? I had a great childhood. I couldn't have asked for any better childhood. And... Where was home? Home was uh, Altoona, Pennsylvania. And then upper middle class, I played sports, uh, football, basketball, baseball, and hated school, but I got through it. And it was a great upbringing. I'm thankful. Beautiful. Did you ever interact with any gambling growing up? Any parlay cards coming around the schools? Anything like that? Any betting? I, I did play a, a parlay card where Pickham was minus one each side. And back then they had ties. And I was very naive and thought this was great when I had no chance to win. And then I was introduced to an agent who worked out of a bar for one of the one or two books in town, betting into an Eastern line in baseball, making parlays every day. That didn't fare too well either. (laughs) And that was about in the uh, late 70s. Beautiful. All right. So you're you're in Altoona um, and, and, you know, you're, you're betting, you realize, okay, this is not working out. Um, where do you go from there? Do you move, um, you stay in Pennsylvania or going out West? Well, I left in, uh, 75. I went to work for a relative and we, you know, we worked in different States and I was home for break for the holidays, Christmas. At a friend's house, we were playing poker. And my best friend got a phone call. And it was really weird because he never gets phone calls. Nobody ever knows where he is. His parents, nobody. I'm watching him. He looks at me. I look down at my, we're playing stud, I think at the time. I look down at my two cards and there's an ace of spades. And we all know what that means. He hung up and I said to him, I got to go home. My dad died, didn't he? And he said, yeah. Wow. And I went home. And there were some relatives over there. And he had a dry cleaning business, which I took over. And I hated the town. I hated the business. Worked it for about four years. Sold it. 
I took about 1500 my mom got the rest and off I went and I went to Florida spent some time there went to Pittsburgh bartended a while went to San Diego sold lithographs on the street business to business found about $200 and I went to Vegas because there was money there and I arrived with 200 and we all know the story as it goes that went out the window pretty quick and I was living on the streets in the summer for about I think two or three months and that was pure hell and the castaways at the time they give you 50 cents uh, if you give them a coupon so I got 50 cents every shift change get up to about ten dollars sit down and play one to three stud and try and run it up which that didn't work out too well and when I went all in I mean I was all in I went out with nothing but there was a a girl called Jackie was a dealer and her boyfriend ran a odd service where back then obviously before computers the bookies around the country called Vegas to get lines and there's you know three or four different services and she said you want a job I said hell yeah so I started working there and Roxy had an affiliation with him he had a condo right behind him and he had two accounts at the time Calneva and I think it was Carson Valley so when there's an off picture he asked me if I'd call him up and give him the prices or a big injury call him up I said sure so then Nevada lowered the tax to a quarter one percent which made it doable for sports books to open and make some money so he was going to open up an odd service and he asked me if I wanted to come work for him I said sure what are the hours he said 11 to 5 you just got to sit there and answer the phone one of the best jobs I ever had you could drink late get drunk and sleep in so as time went on I was listening to him make the baseball odds he, he would run it by somebody who worked in a book and for some reason I didn't know anything about odds making odds whatever I just had this stupid gut feeling I could do it better so I asked him if I could start making odds so he said yeah you can make the golf odds because he knew I loved golf I said all right I'll make about 10 matchups he goes no you'll make three three that's nothing he said start with three and also he'd hired a guy named Mike Roden so there's three of us in the, in the office Mike was making odds so after time went by I don't know the time frame which I won't know the time frame for a lot of these stories I finally let me start to make some odds so I was making the baseball football basketball pro and college the main sports and I picked it up pretty good and around 1988 I think we probably had four or five guys now in the office making odds and he made me odds manager which meant that when we had to make the line they would give me what they made all the basketball and the baseball and the college football I would get the lines and determine what we were going to send out and then I would call them the night before I'd give it to the Stardust and the Hilton wow this is this is great stuff so 
Oh man, there's a lot to digest. I uh, so man, so so the LVSC just starts now. This is the birth. You know, let's let's go back a few years before '88. Roxy now has this business. He's building his business quarter percent. So many bookmakers are popping up. Everybody's coming up. You guys are sending these numbers out. Um, and, and, and Roxy's, you know, he, he started you off with three matchups and you slowly, but surely you started proving yourself that, you know, you were, you were really good at this. Um, describe a day in the life of early LVSC, like let's just say 1984, 85, like how, how does it work? You get into work in the morning. Let's t- take me through a whole day. Right, I arrived at 6.30. Mm-hmm. One of the most important things in this office was breakfast. So we used to call uh, the guy's name is Park. He had a a little restaurant behind the stardust. And we call up and order breakfast. The omelets are very good. And we used to watch him come out the door and get in the car and follow the car <laughs> to the office. And <laughs> we didn't do that every day. It's, you know, we did it once in a while. Why is that? I don't know. It was funny. Part <laughs> of the, the guy was, he had a crush on me, I think. He was... I don't know. It's just, it's just what we did. But All right. <laughs> that was on a lighter note. But we would, uh, depending on the, the time of year, you know, the season, what's going on. It was like baseball. Cubs were home. First thing I did was get the win. Uh, what direction the win was playing. If it was other times of year at uh, football, I'd always stop in at the Hilton see what their lines were, hopping down, take them to the office. Because back then we had a guy that would, we paid a guy to sit at the Stardust and we paid a guy to sit at, pause, I have to think of the name. How am I going to do this? What was the sharp book? Uh, uh, Little Caesars was one. Oh, right now, no, right up from the same shopping center. Uh, Little Caesars and he had the one on the end. That was the sharp one. Yeah, was, uh, not sure, but okay, I get it. So, so you're, you're you're paying guys to sit in these places, and then they're using these payphones to call in any changes or the numbers to you. Yeah, they had a roll of dimes. It was ten cents back then, mm-hmm. and they had the payphones outside the startup sports book. It was funny because when the numbers went up, they wrote them down, and it all race out to call the numbers out. So the guy would call us up with periodically during the day with changes. And that's how you got the changes back then, before computers. So we would, like I said, depending on the season, we would all make odds on the following day, whatever the sport may be. And then give them to Roxy. And Roxy would uh, send them out to the Stardust until he gave me that job. And I think by 1988, and I took over. And not only that, uh, once that happened, the transition made me odds manager. I took a lot of the phone calls that he used to take. I probably took 90% of them. If there was a complaint or an issue, whatever, the directors of the sports book would call me and I'd deal with it. And also part of my job, I went around to the books, more like glad handing and uh, just talking to him once in a while. And the, the, best part of the job was he'd fly me up to Reno, Tahoe, 
that was a blast. I knew mostly all the directors up there and they all drank and we just went out and drank and ate. And that was a really good time. And the one thing I can say is in the industry, in, in the industry, and it's the customers that we dealt with, I would say 95% of the guys and girls that I dealt with in the books were really, really nice people, which is, when I think about it to this day, it just seems uh, it's not like that anymore. I mean, there's all such nice people. There's only like one or two people I really didn't care for out of the dozens of people I talked to and met and ate and drank with. It was really good times. And it was really, really cool to be part of the start of sports betting in the U.S. When you called all these changes to, into Las Vegas, did you obviously also, you know, had to call to the major cities to some local guys. How was that? Like, you know, how was the interaction with them? How did you guys, did they ever come into town to meet you guys? Um, obviously, some of them were, you know, unmentionables. Um, did no, we come? didn't. No, we didn't deal with any of those. We only dealt with licensed bookmakers. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. So you never we, dealt? No, we had uh, we had a couple counts in England. We had Bowman's. We had William Hill and Ladbrokes. In Australia, we had uh, we had a couple counts in Australia. And if you weren't legalized, we didn't deal with you. Gotcha. So, um, all right. So, how would you like? You know, you mentioned a wind change in Chicago. Did you have a guy that you just called, or how, how did you know this stuff? There was no internet, nothing like that. How would you find out which way the wind was blowing? I called uh, Midway Airport, which is the closest airport to the uh, stadium, Beautiful. and just and just get the wind north. I remember it's still wind south is south, and I haven't done this for decades. But it was uh, it was it was very accurate. The only problem sometimes was if there's a storm, it can change the wind. But uh, overall, the we started out with uh, the right wind. It's uh, leading up to game times a different story. We would call it two or three times a day just to check. But you got tricked once in a while. But overall, it worked out. Amazing. So this is um, you're you're at uh, you're with Roxy for a long time here. Uh, we're talking uh, how well, you were there. For till from eight when did you start with lvsc started 83 till 95 then from 97 to 2000 so you're there for a really long time and 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 you said everybody's nice to deal with um how let's talk about some of these nice people that you have to deal with in some of these sports books um anybody stand out that you want to name or that you want to you know i know yes. Rob, you know, go ahead my favorite is Chris Andrews. He's uh, currently working at the South Point. He was at Calneva in Reno. Mm -hmm. And we would do some half times together. We did some work together. But he's just such a great guy. He he was my favorite. And there's a lot of great guys. I'm not, you know, I have a lot of people I have a lot of respect for that are still working. Uh, I'd hate to mention names because I don't want to forget anybody. You know, like, uh, you know, Vinny Maliulo and Richie. There's, so there's just so many of them. Yeah. Uh, 
And there's, there's people I forget that, like in Laughlin, uh, Mike, I don't even remember his last name. It reminds me of Mike Knapp up in the Tahoe. And there, there's easily 15 to 20 that I think are really great people. And I would have to sit down and, and think about it, make a list. I just don't want to name anymore because I don't want to forget anybody. Now, I'm, Scotty Shetler, obviously, at the Stardust, you guys had a good relationship with them, but sometimes, obviously, it was known that it was a little bit rocky here and there. He uh, was a rough. He was. Uh, he fired us probably 10 times. <laughs> and Rocks would have to go down and straighten things out. Yeah, he was... He had a hard edge to him, but, you know, he was good at his job. He was uh, just not affable enough. Yeah. Yeah, he's, you know, that's the that was the shark tank of shark tanks back then, you know, so there was, uh, everybody was coming, firing away. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. Okay, so you're at LVSC. This is, the, you know, do you ever, um, the money's good, working for Roxy's great. Any negatives that you could think of uh, or, you know, it sounded like such a great gig. Well, the money wasn't great. Okay. Could have been better, I felt, for what I brought to the table. But Roxy was really, really fun to work for. He, I think he only yelled at me one time. I put out a wrong uh, puck line. <laughs> and... Uh, he left a, a pretty good uh, message on my recorder when I got home to the apartment. But Rox was, he was really good at what he did. And I enjoyed working for him. It was a pleasure working for Rox. Okay, so let's go. So so you have a great, now, you know, you're making odds, you have experience. You said you were there from uh, 83 to 95 and then 97 to 2000. What happens between 95 and 97 for you to take the break from LVSC? I totally got burnt out. It was like one day off a week. And it just got so hard to do. And my brain was fried. And a guy called up the office one day and he said, do you know anybody that would be able to uh, head a sports book we're going to start in a Caribbean. I said, what about me? He said, I was hoping you'd say that. So he flew to town. I met him at the Hilton. We cut a deal. It was in the Caribbean. I don't remember which country it was exactly. And he also told me uh, the money behind this is the Hells Angels. Mm. Which I said, eh, what are they going to do to me if we lose? <laughs> <laughs> so a short time later Gary Bowman who was one of our customers in England he came to town and I'd met him two or three times before and we went out for a beer and I told him hey, Gary I'm leaving Roxy's I'm going to work for the startup in the Caribbean so why don't you come work for me in Manchester England we cut a deal and I went with him because he was established he was safe been around for a long time and I called the other guy back and told him I can't do it. And nobody in my life swore at me, tore me apart as much as this guy did. And I just stayed on the phone and listened to it for about five minutes. And off I went to Manchester, England and 
the first time I've ever booked and I was in charge of the sports book. So I had to sort of feel my way around and learn the damn thing quick. But one thing he, he had there that made it easier was he used two lines, which back then you could. You had a line for the sharp guys and you had a line for the recreational players. And it made winning easier and control of the wise guys easier. And I, I picked it up rather quickly and I enjoyed it. I really enjoyed it. Back then, I'll never forget that there's a Dodger game, last game to go at night. We were using like a buck 60 and everybody else like a buck 20. Now thinking about it now, doesn't seem right, but at the time, at the time, it felt so right. <laughs> but uh, so we had uh, quite an edge back then, and I was enjoying it. Okay, and, so but before you, so this is this is good. Like, what, what, does do you do you have Roxy's blessing? Uh, you know, you're you're an employee for 12 years now. The, are, are, is Roxy cool with you taking off? Does he, you know, or, you know, you're his top guy. Like, I'm sure there was some type of, man, I wish you'd stay. How, how did that go? Well, he, he, he offered me a pay raise, 10,000 cash, two weeks in Florida. This, you know, there's a, a big golfer and had this, had a, to get lessons at this, uh, camp and a few other things but i was just burnt out i would have loved to stay i would have loved the the pay raise and all the perks but if i can't do the job the way it should be done then i can't get a paycheck so i just had to leave gotcha and uh fortunately i did i went to manchester and that's where i met my wife okay well, let's get into that story but first tell me about gary bowman uh you know well known in the business um how how is you know describe how he was and you said you met him a few times prior yeah he he was very eccentric he came up with some really really great ideas but he never followed through on them he went on to another idea i mean he wanted to do live blackjack but i think the only people the only person was doing it was uh the guy in china he wanted to make betting in an arena doable which didn't come for years later he had a lot of great ideas but he never followed through on them and he was very bad at uh, money management for the company he would blow hundreds of thousands of dollars on the most ridiculous things and the company was broke a lot going into football season uh, one thing he did he he paid the a soccer team from columbia to come to Mauritius, he gave like two or three hundred thousand pounds in advance, and they were to come and play some exhibition games. He never showed. Jeez. He he built a gorgeous bar in Manchester, the nicest bar in, in the city. Never opened it. That had to cost him two, three, four hundred thousand. He gutted it, built a gorgeous restaurant. Never did any business. That was another quarter million. Who knows how much it was? It's good food, but it wasn't right for Manchester. Manchester at the time was like Pittsburgh in the 60s. Mm. Nobody could afford to eat there. 
and uh, I did. Uh, it was I ran up a tab too, big tab, and uh, mudslides, pictures of mudslides. I pour shots and just give them out all night to everybody. Those are fun times. I remember <laughs> Ferguson came in once, uh, the coach for uh, United. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he, he came in a couple of times. In fact, Gary had four tickets, uh, box seats to United games, and I regretfully never went. That really pisses me off. I never went to a game. Uh, my wife and her daughter, they went to uh, Beckham's last game. Wow. So Gary Bowman's legacy, I know one of the first, if not the first to have toll free numbers, right? Like that, that was, you know, the 800 number to be able to call from anywhere, you know, uh, to place a bet from anywhere in the world. Um, yeah. I, that, I think when he first started, I think he's charged tax because people still bet. He, he, when, when he moved the company in the nineties to Mauritius, he built basically his own telephone system. Yeah. The switch was in New York and a guy sitting there just to watch the switch and they could transfer. The good thing about it is they could transfer calls from the office to any phone. It didn't cost them nothing. And they, they would transfer customers to me all the time on my days off or where, wherever, uh, which was good. Uh, That's beautiful. Okay. So you're, you're working for Bowman's let's talk about, uh, how, how you met your wife. I think that's a great story. Um, I remember you telling me this a while ago. She was living in Oklahoma. <clears throat> Population 60. The amount of women that were betting in the 90s was basically nil. And she was betting. And she was betting in England with Bowman's. So she, if there's any complaints that the clerks couldn't handle I was very anal with customer service. I wanted them to transfer it to me, even though I was booking, but I still took the calls, all the calls. One call I took, I was on vacation in London with my mom and my wife. We were watching the play Mamma Mia. And I got a call from a customer. No, it wasn't even a customer. They couldn't give me the answer. So they transferred to me. I walked outside in the sidewalk. His question was, how much money can I bet on these sports? I talked to him for 45 minutes. I missed half the play. He wasn't even a customer. He signed up. He probably blew about two or three million, but he had a lot, a lot of money. And those are the things that I think a lot of places lack customer service like that. And so anyway, so she called up and she got a refund check, but she couldn't cash in the bank for three weeks. I said, it's because it's a third party check. You have to wait till the bank clears it. And in that Oklahoma accent, she couldn't stand. Well, it's funny how you want my money right up, but when I want my money, I got to wait. That's a bad accent. I know you can. (laughs) (laughs) Horrible. So that was that two months later there was a glitch in the system where 13 customers did not get paid. And my future wife was one of them. And the reason is because she won a $2,000 two team parlay on Monday night's game. And she sent money in Western union Tuesday. So she wouldn't have sent the money if she thought she wanted to bet. So the guy told me about it. And I remember her, I talked to her 
two months ago. She bet uh, the Sunday night game to the Monday night game. She laid three and a half with the Chiefs. Montana, with two minutes to go, had the ball to zone 20. Took it down, tied the game up. Overtime, still a big dog to win it, lane three and a half. Tamron being over, the punt returner from Florida State. Ran a punt back, one by six. She won her bet. She didn't know it. So I called her up, said, you know, you won that parlay last night and you sent money in. Did you know you won? She goes, no, I kicked the TV off the stand with two minutes to go. But I got to take my daughter to school. Can I call you tonight? Yeah. I called her that night. Then I called her dozens and dozens of times. My paycheck, all my paycheck went to the phone bill. <laughs> Finally, I said to her, if you fly out here, I'll put you up in the best hotel. And she goes, sure. I said, but I need a picture of you first. Do you want a picture of me? I said, no, I don't need a picture of you. So the picture came, surprisingly. I couldn't run to the phone fast enough. She said, book your flight. So she came over with her daughter. I believe it was about 13 or 14 at the time. Put her up at the Crown Plaza, which was the best hotel at the time. And she came. She was coming for five days. We went to London overnight for two days. Came back. And the second day I was with her, I was 42 years old. I never wanted to marry anybody in my life up to that point. And I wanted to the second day I was with her. Wow. She went back to Oklahoma. We kept talking. I kept giving my paycheck to the phone bill, for the phone bill. And about a month later, I asked her daughter if I could ask her mom to marry me. And if she, if she says yes, tell her to phone me. About an hour goes by. I don't have a phone call. <laughs> I can't believe she doesn't want to marry me. It's insane. She has to want to marry me. So I called her up. I said, you don't want to marry me? She said, yeah, I'm so excited I forgot. So, <laughs> so she, she came out in February for about six days. So I'd known her, been with her about 11 days. We met in Atlanta airport and flew to Philly to my sister's house, got married at the end of April. We had our dinner at the Four Seasons. Oh, by the way, Gary, uh, when I told him I was getting married, he, got, he paid for the wedding. There's 22 people there. Oh, Gary, nice. was my, Gary was my best man. Rox was there and some friends. And then we stayed overnight and in the morning being this Southern girl she is, she ordered freaking grits. $13 for grits. I'll never forget it. <laughs> I said, are you out of your mind, grits? Well, they're good. You got to try them. I said, I'm not eating grits. So she went back to Oklahoma. I went back to Manchester. And she arrived uh, like three months later after she sold all the stuff she had there with her three dachshunds. Her daughter stayed home with her grandfather, and her grandfather was like a father to her. He really, really was a great person and took care of her. And then uh, there we were in Manchester, me and this strange Southern girl. That was a customer, not bearding for anybody, a legitimate, she actually, you know, how many female customers was Bowman's booking back then? 
None that I know of. And she was just well, one, just one. Yeah, you... <laughs> she, she made a two-time, two-team parlay. It's crazy. Jeez, what are the chances? So, all right. So this is great. Now you're married. Um, now, you, what makes you leave and 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 uh, uh, Bowman's and and go back to Roxy? Well, well, we're hold on. Now we're living in Manchester. Yeah, yeah. And Gary was having a lot of tax issues. He probably wasn't paying all the taxes he's supposed to play, pay. So he calls me out to his flat, smoking a joint. He was so great when he smoked a joint. When he wasn't, he was so-so. But he was funny when he smoking a joint. He hands me this brochure. I said, look at it. Mauritius. Never heard of it. It's a gorgeous island. I don't like islands. I don't like water. But he said, we're going to move there. I said, all right. So I told Gina, we're moving to this island. Sure enough, time comes. We moved to Mauritius. And he wasn't there. When I got there, I was probably there. I really didn't like it. It was very hard. They only had two stations on TV, like both in French. Uh, the resorts were so-so. There's a few nice ones. Uh, but it was hard for me living there. And so he calls up. I hadn't spoken to him the whole time I was there. About six, seven months I was there. He calls up and says, get me Dave on the phone. He doesn't say, how are you? How are things going? How are you settling in? How's married life? Nothing. Get Dave on the phone. Got Dave on the phone. I said, screw it. I called Roxy up and I said, if you know anybody that's looking for uh, work for me, let me know. So why don't you come back here? You can do the paramutual odds that Vic Salerno was starting up at the time. So I quit, went back to Roxas. Uh, we got a house in Summerlin. And we're there for three years. So how does how does Bowman Gary take it when you say you're leaving? I don't know if I told him. <laughs> I can't. I don't. I don't think I told them. I just left. I told the, the manager of the office there. They were glad because I hated them and they hated me. Both of them were schnooks and thieves, and I couldn't stand them. I really hated the whole the whole thing there. But you went back later on, so the, which is something that's you, you have you, you. This is like you have a history of going back. You were at Roxy's yeah, well, twice and at Bowman's twice. Well, actually, it's a pretty big compliment when you quit someone. And they take you and back. And they rehired you. That, yes. ha that happened twice to me. Yeah, so, that is pretty big. Yeah. So that means that you're, you're despite any differences or anything, uh, your talents spoke for itself. So that is a very well, big Well, Roxy, Roxy understood. I mean, oh, yeah. He, when, when you left Roxy the first time, it wasn't on bad terms. I no, know. I mean, I was burnt out. He got it. I mean, yeah, he, he got burnt it. Burnt out, I'm burnt out. I but when you left burn. Gary the first time, that's obviously on bad terms if you didn't even tell him. I'll screw him. We'll get over uh, it. Well, he's passed. <laughs> he's passed away now. You know that. Right? Yeah. Well, well, yes, I know. But he rehired me. And, oh and, yeah. And, yeah. Okay. So so all right. Uh, let's. Uh, so you're back at Roxy's now. You're do, you're you're there. You're doing the paramutuals. Um, uh, I know Vic Sterno was starting that whole thing up. And how was that going? It was fine. Uh, I did the paramutuals, and that was pretty easy. It was just like making the, the morning odds, and if the odds were off, it really didn't matter that much. But, you know, they were easy to do. And then I also started making odds again on the sports I did before I left. And then I started to hate it after like two years. It all came back to me. 
So Roxy, I think he quit in 2000. I quit shortly after him. And well, there's a, a guy, a friend of mine who I worked with at Bowman's, he found a investor from France that would put up the money so we can open up our own sports book. And after he told me, <laughs> excuse me, after he told me the money's good, you can quit. I quit Roxy's. Hung around there for three or four months. <laughs> and then uh, off we went to the Alameda. We got a license. I got my work permit. We had the computer system bought. I was trained on it. We had staff trained. Everything was ready to go. We had marketers. He was supposed to, the investor was supposed to give us $2 million. A week before we were going to open, he said, I'm only going to give you 700000 which wasn't near enough, I thought. So I told, uh, I told Dave, I can't, uh, I'm out of here. You know, I, I built a reputation up. I'm not going to blow it because I don't think 700000 is near enough. So there I was, stuck in the Alamean, broke. My wife, dogs. So a friend of mine bought me a plane ticket to Costa Rica, set up a couple interviews, one with Aces Gold, for the people I remember Aces Gold. Aces Gold and, and Curacao you went to. Yes. Yeah. And so I was interviewing, and I sat with Charlie when he opened up the NBA. And he was taking 5000 right off the bat from the sharpest guys in the world. And I said to him, don't you think that's a too high of a limit? And he just looked at me and said, partner, I can get money back anytime I want. You know, <laughs> he's from Texas and probably sounds Oklahoma with the same accent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So right then and there, now this place was one of the top books and everybody thought it was the greatest book in the world. But when he looked at me and said that, I'm thinking this guy's an idiot. I don't know how... He has the respect he does. I don't know why it's such an enamored book from all the sharp guys, but he just seemed like a clown. Well, they don't know juice. Maybe, they don't know juice Fridays. You know what I mean? That's how he get anybody wants. Yeah. He'll know juice Friday. I, I, I know, but leading leading up to that, it was in two thousand one. Yeah. If you watched his lines, you could tell he was just taking shots. I mean, they, some of them just didn't make any sense. And he, and he had to be getting pounded and he didn't move the line. That was a tell right there. And I'm surprised that people left so much money in there just watching it. I mean, like he'd be using four and there was threes everywhere. You know, how much money? Everybody's going to take the four. Yeah. And so he made me an offer. I said, I'd like a car and a, and a place to stay. He wouldn't give me that. So as much as I needed a job and I was broke, I didn't take it. Went back to the Alamean. I called up WTT, was WTTS? WWTS, yeah. Billy Scott. Yeah. I, I trying to get a hold of Billy Scott. I couldn't get past the manager to talk to him. And then I called Gary back up. I said, Gary, you have any work for me? He said, yeah. You can come run the place. I'm going to fire the guy that's running it. <laughs> I said, great. So I got on the sea uh, cat. You had to take a sea cat off the island. We could fly, but we took the sea cat and went back to Gary and uh, 
picked up where I left off, although the assholes were still there. So this time, Gary had hired a CEO. They had mutual lawyers, and that's how they met. And the guy was filthy rich. He didn't need to work, but he was bored. And thank God, he hired a CFO, Charles, who's a really nice guy. And they made it where Gary couldn't spend any money. Through They put it in a trustee. Then the company started to make some money or save some money. And it was a godsend to work for those guys. I mean, Chris, I answered to, he was the CEO. He was real hard, but he was fair. And he can't ask for much more than that. And, oh, he asked me uh, anything I should know about the employees. I told him about the two guys. They were stealing. Another guy was stealing. He looked into it, came back to me, said, you're right. They were stealing. So he fired him. So you looked, out for, you looked out for the shop and, and Bowman's at this time, this is when I started, you know, is when I was coming up. So I was a customer. You were one of, uh, you know, you were one of the first outs I, I, I ever had. Um, yeah. And uh, I think in 2000, 2001 ish. So um, what a pain you were. <laughs> yeah yeah uh i remember you guys used to put like the, the top winners of the month and shit and i remember my name was on there once i'm like what the fuck are you guys putting my name on the website i try to stay anonymous um but that was legitimate that you actually put names on the website for all the winners and stuff so that was that was but you guys didn't back anybody off you took everybody on um, like at the time, did you also have a, sh- a separate line for the sharps and the squares or? Yes, we did. We did. But how, let's talk about how, cause dealing, cause that's a common thing still till this day. Some people do that. How, you know, what happens is, is does the, does the square line is just that, is, is that just derived from the sharp line where you just add a half a point to, you know, to the favorite and the overs or, or what are you doing exactly? Like, how is that? Or are you actually moving both individually? No, it, it depends on the situation. Mm-hmm. You know, a Sunday, Monday night game, yeah, you might add an extra hook, but you don't do it to every game. You just do it to certain situations where you know you're going to write a lot of money and, you know, you're trying to steal half a point. And because I was told that every year we have to write more money and win more. Well, that's pretty tough to do when we did take on sharp money then now we only gave it at the time we had this system where when the move came in everybody they came in at the same time i would give the bet to the first person in and the rest of them i would decline they did take the first bet i'm not going to take 15 bets on the same number of course and the guy that was first 80 percent of the time his name was otis that was his real name otis I didn't find out, or he was moving for Billy Walters at the time, but I didn't know that. And he took a refund check every month, this guy. You couldn't beat this guy. And, but dealing the two lines, where I really liked it was second halves. I got a lot of sides in second halves where the number was four. I'd use four for the sharp guys, four and a half for the squares, and it would come four. I had the ton of sides once in a while middle and i mean it worked out but i didn't really do it i might have done it like on maybe 10 15 percent of lines gotcha now how was it dealing with you know 
dealing to all the sharks now and this is the early 2000s the advent you know internet's less than a decade old and the offshore world is thriving you know you're taking everybody on there's you know there's so many outs so many different shops all across the caribbean and england and you guys uh well first of all we I didn't use big limits i mean yeah. you know they got nickels nickels and dimes which which doesn't hurt and for NFL, I don't remember what we gave, maybe 5,000, but I kept the limits small. And what's even worse was like the bonus wars. You know, back then, we used to give $500 up to $500 four time rollover. And those were the guys that were real pain in the ass. Yeah. You know, they just come in, they go, another name, they come in, they go. Yeah. There's nothing you can do about it. You know, it was. It was just like when uh, Jersey opened uh, the first couple of years. They, they gave away a ton in Jersey the, the first two or three years. But it was uh, it was a, a great learning experience. Uh, I dealt with them for a short time in the, in, the, in the 90s. But when I went back to them, they were all there. And I, I remember this one guy, I threw him out. I didn't like him. He was a sharp guy. I didn't throw him out because he's sharp. I just threw him out because I didn't like him. And I say, <laughs> I said, call me back in a year. He calls me back in a year. And I said, it's a year. Can I play now? Look, I'm not, I'm not following anybody. I'm not moving money. <laughs> I'm just, all I'm doing is handicapping NBA tolls. Can I come back? I said, no, call me back in another year. Oh my God. Turns out he's one of the guys moving money for the scandal on the referee in the NBA. Oh. So my gut feeling was right. I didn't like the guy. Wow. Oh man. Great story. So, you know, you're dealing with all these guys. Did you ever, did you, did, of course, Billy just sent in beards. Did I, anybody, did you ever talk to Billy direct then or? Or not no, then. Not, I, not I, I did it. I did it to Greek. No, he. Uh, I, I caught a couple. Well, you sort of knew his beers were. There was one Thursday night, two guys from Dublin came in and made $500 two team parlays. It was really strange because I don't think we had any customers from Dublin. And I marked down their plays on paper. They were for college football on Saturday. When the game started, I went and looked at the line. They had the best of the line by at least three points on every selection they made. Next Thursday, same thing. Now I figured that's Billy. So I gave the place to a friend of mine and he bet him and he made really some really good money hitting some middles, which he reimbursed me in wine, which was really nice of him. When I moved to Charlotte, uh, I got about three cases of wine from the wine shop. But that's it was really uh, that's how strong Billy's plays were. You know, he can make make whatever he did. He was he was hard to beat, and yeah, you really never know for sure if the guy's moving for Billy, and it doesn't really matter. Because if a guy's betting and he's sharp and he lays four and the game goes to six or seven constantly, 
he's sharp, whether it's Billy or anybody else. Yeah. We, we treat him the same, you know, sharp money is sharp money. Now is Billy sharper than most? Somewhat, but there's a lot of sharp guys out there. There's guys that just don't lose. Yeah. And I found that out when I got to the Greek. Yeah, we'll get to that. All right. So, um, let, so 06 now, you're, uh, you're there six years. Of course, Bowman's now stops taking U.S. business um, because of the Ugia. Um, no, they, no, they, no, the Winuega passed the law in the fall of 06. They decided to sell the company because he didn't know how banking was going to be going forward. Yeah, to Bulldog. Yeah, we sold the U.S. business to Bulldog and the rest to uh, Bet365, the Canadian business, which is a really good business. I remember when my balance got transferred to Bulldog, um, I called them up and and uh, and um, I said, hey, uh, you know, my password's not working. I gave them my account number, my Bowman's. And they said, no, we we don't want your (laughs) I don't even get to place a bet there. They just just said, where do you want your money? So, um, so yeah, so they kind of. Do you remember the times when I needed money on a side? Uh, you and I would bicker on what the what you would get. I'd yeah. say I, I'll give you seven cents. No, I need I need nine cents. Eight <laughs> cents. Nine <laughs> cents. All right, take nine cents. Yeah. It's it's uh it's funny. Good good, good old days. Okay, so um they sell the business now. Um you know, what do you do now in 06? Uh, you know, you, you well I was happy to get off the island i had enough mm-hmm. that's one of those cases be careful what you wish for because i had a small piece of the company i was making a really good salary and god forbid that they don't sneak that law in <clears throat> the last the last bill at midnight <clears throat> they put that in excuse me <clears throat> and god forbid that i'd have been forced to hear to stay and be a millionaire. <laughs> so we moved to Charlotte. I was going to try and uh, make a living playing poker. It didn't work out so well. I, I did really well in the tournaments. I did as good as the professionals in the tournaments because you can see your stats on the, on the official rankings. But the cash games, I didn't do so well on. And I couldn't. I didn't have the stamina to play tournaments every day. I mean, some of them go six, seven, eight, nine hours, and I just couldn't do it. So that didn't work out. And I was bleeding all my money and looking for a job, couldn't find one. Then all of a sudden, in the same day, I get two job offers. One from B-Win, which is a, is a big European book in Gibraltar, and one from Spirit the Greek. So I flew out to Gibraltar. Spent a day there talking to Phil. He was the one that's going to hire or not hire me. And then I sat with uh, a guy that I knew from Bowman's, Jamie. I watched him do live betting. This was in 2001. Oh, no. I'm sorry. This was in 2008. 2008. He had a headset on. He was doing an Australian women's basketball game. It was not on TV. There's a guy in the stands giving him the score. He's trying to score it. And I'm sitting there, and he had so much to do. He had to put the score in. He had to do the XL sheet, come up the line, do this and that for two hours. But they wrote over $100,000, which blew my mind. 
Now, the first time I saw live betting was in 2001, where I noticed uh, Victor Chandler was doing a live game on the NFL. And I thought it was unbelievable because I love second halves. I love making second half lines. I like betting second halves. And all live betting is an extension of second halves. And I thought, this thing's got to be huge. It has to be huge someday. And then after seeing Jamie write 100,000, that was crazy. So then I flew right to the Greek. Oh, by the way, uh, they offered me a job in Gibraltar, which is the job I wanted because it was very challenging. But I didn't get a car, I didn't get an apartment, a lot of taxes. And it really wasn't worth it. Since when I went to the Greek and talked to Spiro, made a deal, gave me a car, gave me an apartment. Taxes were much better. And I was two hours and 45 minutes straight shot to Charlotte to home, to my wife. So I took that job begrudgingly. And there I started at the Greek in Jamaica for 10 years. Wow. And All right, let's. So this is, an, this is an 08. Let's talk about first impressions of Spiro um, when you first meet him. Big guy, deep big, voice. Big guy, ponytail, lifted weights every day. Uh, I didn't have a, any expectations or thoughts on what he was going to be like. I had to sit for a while and sit behind him. It seemed like forever. So he let me do anything like a week or two. And then, you know, I started to, uh, it was like him, Roy and me. And then I started to book. And as time went on, he was, had a very good reputation as a bookmaker. But over the first two or three years, I don't think, I think that was his weakness. He made a ton of money betting. He has really good handicappers that gave him lines. And that was his strength. So, so when you were there, does the betting, how much did the betting take uh, front and center versus the bookmaking? Because, you know, he, he was one of the betting bookmakers, the notorious betting bookmakers that are, that, you know, he cared more about betting uh, often. Um, he, he, <clears throat> he all he cared about was betting. They didn't put a nickel into the company. Not a nickel. They still had a fax machine with the telephone on it. So <laughs> <Yeah>. I left. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The website hasn't changed since 95 or no, whatever. No, the it, was the same, it was like Windows 3 or I don't know what it was. <laughs> it was disgusting. They literally did not put any money into that company. The only marketing they did, they did some in Toronto, the uh, the fan radio. Uh-huh. And I think they did the CFL. Yeah, they did the CFL. But it was, I think, I know Bowman's did it. How big was yeah. the business in 08, 09? You know, before, you know, big business, are we talking? Or? Uh, not really. I mean, compare, well, it's hard to say. I mean, back then I thought it was big, but now you look at today, it was nothing. Uh, it made it made good money. Gotcha. But he he probably made ten times the money the book did. Uh, he was like I said, the cappers were good. He was betting big money, and yeah, 
people used to complain about the numbers on Don Best yeah. being off. Mm-hmm. They were they were off intentionally. Of course. Yeah, which most people knew, but you know, that's the way it was. We wrote a program that would compare the website's lines to the Don Best lines, and whenever there was a discrepancy, it would alert us to it. And we essentially knew every one of his plays for years and years and years. I never even told him that until recently, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. So it was it was great. You know, what I mean, we we you know when they were off. Um, we used to call it Olympic fakes. That's that's the, the the thing we called it. All right, so he's betting. You see him now. You're not now. Now, what was your role? Did, did you ever help with the betting? Did you have to? You know, did you did the handicappers help that he was using to bet? Did that help shape the line for the for the, for the shop? Well, Describe there, a day, a typical day. Well, there there are different times. When I first got there, it was so funny because he had about thirty clerks. Mm log into accounts, get the game ready. Then Rosetta would say, ready? One, two, three, go. And it all punched the plays in at the same time. It was hysterical. Beautiful. Then he graduated and got people to move for. Mm -hmm. And there was one person named Popeye, who's now deceased. Mm -hmm. He moved a ton of money. He could get down... 200,000 on, on any, on a baseball game or, you know, which he did on occasion and he moved for a while and he had different people moving until the, till the very end when he wasn't betting as much so he could do it himself. But people came and people went that he got to move for him. And we were alerted what the plays were. So we knew to get ready to move it. And that's how the most hated person I know got fired. Who's that? Uh, me, oh, Richard yes. Lewis. Richard Lewis. Uh-huh. He got hired. And he's such a narcissist, I absolutely couldn't stand it. I had to drive him to work and drive him home almost every day. And now he, he, was, said, he was there when you got there, or no? No, he came after me. Came after oh, you. Yeah, it's the third time Spiro hired him. He fired him twice. He tried to blackmail him once, and he fired him. And he stole from him, and he fired him. And then he hires him again for the third time. I couldn't. Is that Spiro having a good heart? It's his heart. He has a good heart. At times, yeah. Okay. Too good. Too good there. I mean, the guy stole from him. Yeah. But he was, I was thinking about quitting, and I was getting ready to look around. See if maybe get a headhunter, see if I can get another job somewhere. And we had the pokers that summer for baseball. And Spear would give us the teams so we'd know who they were and get ready to uh, move them so we didn't take any bets on them. And all of a sudden, like all these games started moving before Spear could bet. So he pinned it down to Richard somehow. So he said to me, I'm going to give you the four games and we're going to throw in Kansas City. That's not a play. Tell me if you see Richard on his phone after you guys get to play. Sure enough, we get the plays. He's texting. And sure enough, all five games move, including Kansas City. Thank God. He was giving some guy, he was getting $500 a week, giving some guy in Virginia. He could he could should have got five thousand a week. I mean that summer, 
they were red hot. The pokers were on fire. We only had them, I think, for that one summer. Greed is a bitch. Yeah, so luckily, he fired Richard and I stayed. And then, uh, you know, Spiro, he couldn't come down for like the last five or six years. It was just me and Roy. Yeah, it was pretty miserable years for me, to be honest. Food was absolutely horrendous. Really, I couldn't eat anything except chicken, fried chicken that I made myself or, or, or put in the oven. I just... No jerk chicken? I had jerk, but chicken. I mean, you couldn't go out and just eat a normal lunch. There was no place to do it. It, it, it really took its toll on me. And I didn't go out that much at night because knowing me, I'd get in trouble. I didn't get drunk. I'd do the wrong thing. I went out for a little bit and then I just stopped going out. And I just couldn't, I, it was horrible. So you and I were talking during that time and, you know, you, you were always working. You worked very hard. You were one of the, I, I you know, I don't think I remember a time where you weren't in the office, honestly. Well, actually, the office hours weren't that bad, but it was it was six days a week. Yeah, I, I, I think I started at three. Roy opened up. I started at three and closed up. Could have been 10, 30, 11. Uh, but then I worked. He was off Sunday, so I worked a whole full Sunday. I was off Tuesday. He worked a whole full Tuesday. So the hours were OK. I mean, I was used to working 60, 70 hours a week at Roxy's and other Bowman's anyway. Uh, but it, it was just, uh, and I did a lot of other stuff there too. I helped out a little bit uh, with what little marketing we did. And I mean, I did a lot of other stuff there that one spirit wasn't there. The you know, we getting... let's, let's talk about the Jamaicans itself. Like how was it the Jamaican culture? You know, all the clerks, Spiro's clerks were notorious for being very nice and talking so nice and, you know. They were mostly girls because you liked our girls. Yeah. When I got there, there was about 150 in the call center. Then when he stopped the U.S. business after four or five years I was there, then we were down to about 40 or 50. Most of them were tremendous. That's what kept me going. I mean, I had a great time <clears throat> with the banter in there, and I really liked a lot of them. Oh, nice. it, was a, it, it was a pleasure working with them. Yes. Rosetta, nice. Rosetta and, and, and the whole. Oh, oh there's, uh, there were so many. I'm Cedric, <clears throat> Alicia. I mean, there, there was a ton of them. They were really nice. And, and they. Novelet. Novelet, nice. I remember. Oh, yeah, Novelet. <laughs> oh, it was, uh, I'll tell you, if, if I said this stuff in that call center in the U.S., I'd be sued a hundred times a day for sexual harassment <laughs> and they loved it. It was great. Yeah. Easy going laid back. Yes, uh, they were, but they got the job done somewhat gotcha. as much yeah. as you could expect. Okay. Yes. Yeah. So, so, all right. So, you know, you're, you're there 10 years. Um, he, you know, Spear obviously gets popped 2013, um, the business, you know, he, he left the U.S. business way before then, um, but he gets popped anyway, and then um, and the business oh, yeah. count goes down. Yeah, meanwhile, yeah, meanwhile, I'm just dealing for like the last whatever it was five years. Ninety nine percent of our action was from shark guys. Yeah, ninety nine. 
I can't tell you the last time I remember a $2,000 bet from a recreational player when it came in. It, it's, did, it was really hard. Did the office still make money? The book made money, but it wasn't enough to pay the expenses. Gotcha. And why they kept it open? No idea. Every year for like four or five years in the summer, I thought I was going to be out of jobs. But once we hit August, I knew it was good for another year. And that was hard mentally also, not knowing if you're going to have a job the next year. So, and, 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 you know, after Spiro gets popped, he can't even fly anywhere. So he doesn't, you know, but talk about working for Spiro, you know, Spiro's not a, you know, great guy. I love the guy, a personal good friend of mine, but um, tough businessman, at least that's how I believe, um, you know, describe a little bit of that. Cheap. Nothing, there's nothing going to be good coming out of my mouth towards him. Uh, I didn't get a raise in the 10 years I was there. Now, I, I, if I were to ask, they probably would have gave it to me because they wouldn't want to lose me after he couldn't come down. So part of it was my fault, I guess, but never got a raise in 10 years, which was disgusting. And they did do one good thing for me. I had a widow make a heart attack in 2015. It's the worst heart attack you can have. About a third of the people die instantly. Now, here I am in a third world country. I had it on Thursday, but I thought it was COPD pain. And I called in sick Friday. Well, a few times I called in sick. I, just, I couldn't even get out of bed. Saturday, I went in. And I felt horrible. I didn't have any pain. I sat down. I remember my computer didn't work. Thinking, thank God I can rest for like, it's going to take them five hours, those guys to fix it. But I started to feel really bad. I said to Rosetta, I said, I'm going to the clinic. Went to the clinic. They wouldn't call the cardiologist to see me until I gave him a credit card. And I tried to play a little bluff game with him. I said, when he's in front of me, I'll give you the card. Well, they won. <laughs> so I gave him the card. He charged a dime. This cardiologist came. said he was like in the, for 40 years. He's been a cardiologist. Ran a test. Bad heart attack. But don't worry. He'll be all right. So I called my wife up. He said, just lay in bed for a week and we'll give you a LASIK strip. It didn't even dawn on me. The first thing you're supposed to do see how much blockage there is. He just wanted me to lay in bed. I called my wife up. She called Mike. I said, Mike, you got to get him out of there. He gave you his heart and his soul, this and that and this. So Mike came in, saw me. They hired a medic plane, paid 20000 This was Saturday. The plane was coming Monday, which would have been four days with this Widowmaker. I remember laying there. And I opened my eyes, must have passed out. I see like three or four nurses staring down at me. I said, what the hell are you looking at? And one of them said, will you stop breathing? I said, well, were you taking bets on how long I was going to live? Get the fuck out of here. And I did nothing. But I had a lot of uh, other issues there I'm not going to get into. And every time that little cardiologist came by my bed, he goes, points his finger. Don't you ever forget I saved your life. He saved my life. He would have killed me if I listened to him. So I fly to Charlotte Monday night, 
get there. I remember it was cold and rainy on the gurney, pushed me into the hospital. They put a stent in that night. And the next night they put three in. I think I got out in about a week. And I went back to see him for a checkup in about three weeks. And I said, jokingly, I said, do you think you were going to save me? He says, no. I said, what do you mean, no? I, I faded four days in a third world country, got in front of you breathing, and you didn't think you could save me? He said, I didn't think you'd make the night. Wow. And he made, that's, I stopped breathing another time too in life in 2001 in Mauritius. I buy, I forgot about that story. <laughs> so I stopped breathing twice in my life. <clears throat> in Mauritius, it was, two, it was 2001, and I had a colonoscopy. So the smart thing to do would be go home, rest, drink electrolytes, get everything back to normal, get a good night's sleep. No, not me. I go in the pool and I hate the pool. I hate, don't like swimming. Don't, it was hot out. Don't ask me why I went in the pool. I, I was in that pool like twice and that was one of them. And that night I went out to dinner, drank two bottles of wine. And I remember my wife saying uh, later on, it was really rude to the uh, manager which normally, you know, we're friends and I ate there a lot. And he said to her, I was acting strangely. So I got hammered, two balls of wine, went home, went to sleep. In the morning, normally she goes down and feeds the dogs, but for some reason she lay there and all this white crap was coming out of my mouth. And she turned me on my side so I wouldn't choke to death. She called an ambulance, took them forever to get there because they don't have addresses. It's like hanging left at the market or right at the church here they finally get there <clears throat> they're working on me <clears throat> and uh they just get up and they say no good and they're ready to leave and gina yells at him he's not dying in his stinking country save him so he pulls out that big needle that they stuck into my chest like they do for overdoses and i started breathing and they took me to the hospital and I made that one somehow too. Somebody up there doesn't like me. They keep saving me. That's great, man. Wow. Oh my God, Scott. I don't know any of those yeah. stories. So that's 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 just incredible. So um, okay, so 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 all right. So you know, they did do a few nice things. You said he has good heart. Um, tough businessman, but good heart. Well, he, he does when, when push comes when push comes to shove. He does have a good heart, but I mean, he would just yell all the time, yell, yell, yell all the time, bitch at you over Skype. Like what? Give Text me an example. I oh, 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 yell on a Skype like, chat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just saying. I mean, there were there were times when you know later on, uh, close to when uh, at the end when he wasn't betting as much. If it was a late play at night and the girls were gone, usually Rosetta put the play in. I had to put the play in. And I had to call like Grande, Pinnacle, and Chris. And it was a nightmare, me putting the plays in. <laughs> and he and after he gives him, gives me the plays, he's like, go bet him, go bet this first, this first, and bet that joint. Like about 30 seconds went by and he'd say, Are the plays in or the plays in? He kept bugging me. Just yeah. stupid stuff like that. And then he'd, he'd yell at me about you know, line moves or this or that, the littlest things you get pissed off about. Yeah. When, if you ever looked in the mirror, I mean, like I started to say before, the guy was was not a good bookmaker. I can give you dozens of examples. I used to sit down 
on and take over the live betting on Monday night, he would just jack the uh, favorite and total up for no reason. Just jack them up. When he used to put out the, I mean, there's, I'll just give you one more because I don't want to rip him too bad. But you could have gave me a freaking raise once in a while if you're listening. He would put out the quarter quarter lines on Thursday for Saturday's college. And the money lines, he put he went off this chart that was wrong. Richard and I were there, we looked at each other, get ready. He couldn't get 10 games out with bets starting coming in on the money line. And if that happens every Thursday, wouldn't you think that maybe something's off? No, he did it the whole season. We would tell him they're wrong. And he didn't care. He just kept putting up bad lines. And there's many, many more examples. To me, that's not a good bookmate. That's just stupid. Yeah, it's it's uh, his. The, but the betting kind of was the biggest. You know, it it it, it over it, it killed all that. Like it didn't. You know, because the betting made up for that well, and then some. Well, okay, but why give money away like that? Agreed. Why give it away? Agreed. No, I'm not. I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm just saying that he had a, a safety net that was. Because when it comes to the betting, he was very successful, right? You know, he he aligned well, that's, himself. That's the that's the only reason the book survived. You know, he yeah. went he went broke twice early on. Mm-hmm. He, he borrowed money to keep the business going. Yeah, but the only thing that saved him was the betting, which made him tens of millions of dollars. All right, so eighteen, you decide to leave now. Let's talk about um, your your. Uh, finally uh coming to the states uh stateside how did that work out with uh, 365 well i got a phone call and uh they said they're gonna open up an office in jersey doing a job i'd worked with them previously in england and i said hell yes so i went to mike who was the top guy at the greek behind spiro i said uh, i'm gonna leave i got another job how much uh, notice do you want? He said, two or three months. So, well, you got a week. I'm leaving in a week. I couldn't wait to get out of there. And, the, and, the, and I knew they weren't going to replace me. So why stay another two or three months? When I leave then, it's going to be the same. And they never did replace me. And I went to England for a very short time, then went to Gibraltar for eight months. Uh, learned the system, learned what they do, and then eventually moved to Cherry Hill. Cherry Hill, New Jersey for when Bet365. Yeah. All right. So Bet365, the biggest bookmaker in the world. Um, literally the biggest bookmaker in the world. At the time. Now, I don't know. I'm not so sure because, you know, FanDuel and DraftKings are buying some books and whatever. It's it's close. But when I started there, they were the biggest. I yeah. still think there's not, it's not even close. I don't know. Maybe I'm, you know, I think that when it comes to just sheer volume and the numbers and everything, it's just, there's just nobody even. So you see these numbers. Do you, do you, are you privy to see all the numbers? What have you seen? No. What have you not no. seen? No, not privy. Okay. So what were you booking when you were working there? Well, I started out doing several sports and I ended up uh, doing NBA props. And man, was that a business. The best time I had was COVID when I, all I booked was the, uh, the Asian league, the Taiwan league. That was fun. 
So you're booking NBA props now. What percentage are we talking? This is NBA props. You're booking that all around the world, not just the Jersey office. This is everywhere. Yes. Now, what percentage is, is square business? What percentage is sharp business? I would say the square business is probably, it's hard to say. I would guess maybe 70. And, and you know, what kind of leash do you give these guys before you, you showed them the door? Uh, A long leash. Too long for my liking. I don't like prop betters. I never like prop betters. I mean, there's guys that they don't even throw you a bone. They, they don't even bet one side. Yeah. They just bet props. And they have to know that bookies just don't like prop betters. Yeah, and vultures. They're, they're vultures. Yeah, then the players will say, well, don't put it up if you don't want us to bet it. I say, screw you. No, it's a courtesy. Nobody understands that. You know, a lot of the newer guys that are coming up, they only could be props and they think that they're entitled and they don't realize it's a, it's a courtesy that a bookmaker puts up. But and not, either- not only that, the courtesy, we were booking, damn, we were, when I first started, it was really archaic. But then when we got a uh, outside source to feed us the numbers, mm-hmm. we were doing probably seven players a team, 20 props a player. Incredible. And it was hard. And I was doing it by myself. Oh, my God. And it was brutal. I'm not even going to tell you the work involved I had to do with it, but it was by far the hardest I've ever had it in the 40 years I've been in it. 10 years ago, it wouldn't have been near as hard, but age, my health, it, it just made it really hard for me to do. It would have been harder if you're 30 years old. The sheer volume and the amount of bets coming and coming that never stops ever. So you're looking at there, there's seven players, twenty props a player. <laughs> that's that for uh, that's that's seven players per team or per game. Per team. Oh my god! I know. Friday nights. I hated Friday nights. <laughs> that's incredible. How do you, how do you, you can't, how do you, you can't keep up now? There's no auto mover. Well, there is, there is, and I'm, I'm not, I'm not really going to get into how they do it and stats, anything about it because they never wanted me to speak about it. And just because I'm not working there anymore, I'm not going to speak about it. I'm going to respect them. No, I'm not trying to ask you to reveal any secrets. I'm just saying, how could you, how could one person move thousands of lines by themselves without an auto mover. Um, I, I don't look at the prop lines. So I don't know. Because I did. Because you had to. I, I didn't catch them all. I mean, you know, it, it, it's a job. It was probably a job for at least three people, maybe four. Mm. Uh, it, it was hard. And you had, to, you had to put notes and accounts and do all this other stuff. I mean, I just did my best. And and so for somebody just betting props at Bet three sixty five, how long do they last? A month, two weeks, two months, three? What what what, what, what what's the leash? Uh, with no it, bones, it, with no bones, just exclusive props. It, it could go probably months. Wow. 
And are they looking at closing lines? Are they looking at win-loss? Are they looking a little bit of both? It depends on the, on the person. Sometimes closing lines. Win-loss is secondary to me. It's the numbers they're taking. Hmm. You know, if, if they're laying a dollar forty and everybody has like a dollar sixty, a dollar seventy, that's more important to me than win loss. Of course. Because because the variance, you know, you can lose have a losing uh, account for two or three months, but in the long run you're gonna get the money if you're laying prices like that all the time. Yeah. And that's basically what I looked at a lot, you know what they bet and what the market was just like you do for the game board, you know, for NBA or NFL, whatever. It's the same principle. I love are, they, it. are they stealing from you or not? That's what I always look for. And now you just recently retired. Um, yes. And, uh, and that's it. This is, you know, what, what a career you've had, Scott, this is just incredible to go down memory lane with you and hear some of these stories. And, uh, you know, but there's, there's so many more. Just like I'm, I'm tired now. My health isn't great, and I'll probably think of dozens of stories. Oh, hundred percent, hundred percent. That's just how it always works. But believe me, the stuff you shared with us today, and and um, you know, before I let you go, the name of the show is called "Be Better Betters." I always try to ask somebody if you had one bit of advice to give to anybody aspiring sports better out there, somebody coming up or trying to become better. Um, what would you give them, you know, to become better betters? That's money management and get the best possible number you can get out there. Yeah, money management. I wish I was a better better. <laughs> I had I had a big tilt factor. I'll tell you that much. How do you become? So how about let, let, uh, that, that's that's big to not tilt. But how about being a better bookmaker? Because that's you know you spent your life as a bookmaker and making odds. How, how would you? advise somebody to be a better bookmaker um well I'll, I'll give you an example yeah since i arrived here i bet more here that i really didn't bet that much was in vegas mm -hmm. I it was a conflict of interest i really didn't bet that much in my life till i moved here you couldn't help but win here the first three years if you had half a clue but here's how i can be a better bookmaker don't do this DraftKings. Cut my limit to 40. I mean, I would cut cut at MGM, a little bit of Fandle. Most of the places I play, it was cut. And 40 grocery dollars. Yeah. So they cut me. Then a host comes on my phone on the text and says, uh, who's your favorite sports team? So I'm going to be your VIP host, blah, blah, blah. I said, great. I said, let me, let me put a bet in. So I was going to lay two to one on something. So I said, I'm going to bet 2,000. Oh, and I said, oh, wait, they only gave me to win 40. You think you can get my limits up? Which I know he can't. And he said, I'll ask him. He gets back to me in about two or three days. I said, no, they, they can't raise your limits. Sorry. I said, brother, do you know how much I, I turned over in the casino and how much I turned over in, in the sports? I said, yeah, you turned over $5 million in the casino and $1 million in the sports. Now, you would die to have customers like that. Mm. I said, give them that stat. Because when you cut a player, even when I cut a guy, I didn't know what he did in the casino. So 
he, sh- he came back to me and said, I showed it to him and you're still at $40. That shows you what morons are out there working the business. I was five to one ratio more in the casino and he still kept my limits low. That's a disgrace. So everybody at DraftKings sticking up your ass. <laughs> it, 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 I, I think there's a problem with a blanket uh, a blanket limit. Like you're limited to $40. Do they do it on everything? Or, or like, is it like, a, it's like a factor where, you know, you could limit, you should be able to limit somebody just on props, but not on, you know, NFL sides, for instance. I just don't know why that's not integrated in their software. A lot of these. these I don't systems. know, but if I'm betting five times as much a casino. Yeah. Let me bet uh, the sports. Of course, of course, I get it. No, I, I, I don't, I don't. I, it makes sense. What are you doing betting a casino so much? Me? Yeah. Oh, <laughs> well, <laughs> I was punching around one day, and I don't know. I put in whatever I put in, a thousand or two, whatever. I ran it up to one hundred eighty thousand. I, I was higher. It was a little over two. And, Dropped down to 180 and I cashed out. So that gave me some uh, play money to play around with. That's why gotcha. I, I turned 5 million. Now, I don't know if they realized that. Yeah, I, yeah. Doubt, I doubt they did. Uh, but that's how that's why I was playing around there. I love it. Scott, I appreciate you coming on, man. I've been wanting you to come on for a while. I know you couldn't do this when you were working at 365. So. They, they, they axed that, but now that uh, you're retired, it feels great to be able to bring you on and share all these stories. Um, and I consider you a good friend of mine, man. It's so great to, to put, bring your story out there to share with everybody. It's uh, so you're, you're a legend, whether you think so or not. And um, it really means the world. For I, you. I appreciate it. I don't think so. No, um, you are. Man. You've... But unfortunately the real good stories I have to take to my grave. And there are some beauties. In all oh, I the, bet. All I different bet. countries. <laughs> I bet. I bet. But you mentioned like, you know, Roxy, Chris Andrews, all solid guys. And you know what I mean? Like you always know uh, the, the, the measure of a man in this industry is, is how your peers look at you. And, and all these guys have nothing but respect for you. Everybody that you that I've known has nothing but respect for you that have, has interacted with you over the years. So you're a class act, my friend. And, and I'm right, so well, happy appreciate that. But if you heard some of the untold stories, you might change your mind. But <laughs> I love it. Yeah. Hey, Scott, thanks so much for the time until next time.